a few more topics that we have to cover. And we will not talk about transfers, and we will not talk about my mother. We will talk about what you want to talk about. Fair enough. Who's next? Who's next? Joe Beaver is on 1240 Joe Radio. It is a pleasure to be on with you, and an abbreviated version of the show will be off at noon. That's because Mariner baseball is coming up, and it is a true honor and pleasure to begin this short version of the show with a conversation with a gentleman I had the pleasure of meeting at T-Mobile Park Saturday night. This man helped me through my first experience as part of a post-game entourage down to visit with Stephen Kwan after the game. It was nice to see this man, who, whom I'd never met but knew a lot about, listened to a lot, watch a lot on Root Sports, none other than Ryan Roland Smith, who has work to do today for this early game, but is kind enough to join us today to talk Australian baseball, Travis Bazana, Rich Dorman, and a few other things. Ryan, it was great to meet you. Thanks for taking time today. How are you? Uh, no worries. Hey, I've always got time to talk about those three topics, let me tell you. Hey, Ryan, t- let's uh, since your time is short and ours too, let's jump right in and start first, I guess, with Rich Dorman, who's become a friend. I love the guy, tremendous pitching coach. Since he was sort of the conduit to to Travis, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about uh, how you first met Doors. You came up through the Mariners minor league system from Australia. Yeah, well, this is back when I believe I was 19 years old and, and you know, you, you're trying to get your bearings. My first year I was 18, I played rookie ball. And the year after that was my first time playing actual, you know, real minor league baseball. I went off to Appleton, Wisconsin. I struggled. First time ever pitching you know, in front of a crowd, dealing with weather. Uh, and then I got sent down to Everett. And that's where I met Rich. And we just hit it off, man. We're very similar personalities. He's very intense uh, when, when he's on the field. He, he you know, he carries that into, into coaching as well. So, we just hit it off. We've been close ever since, and you know we used to run stadium stairs out there at, uh, just behind Funko Field on the high school stadium back then, and, and we still bring up some of these memories. And we came up to the minor league system together, and and then he went off to, um, he, excuse me, he was coaching um, some minor league baseball. But I think he really found his true passion when he got when he switched over to the college side because you know he gets to really mentor and grow some of these players. So. He was at Grand Canyon University, and I had my first, um, you know, Australian kid commit to a D1 school. Uh, that's what I like to do. I try and help some of these kids out, and Rich was a huge part of that. He, he kind of took a flyer on one kid, never seen him play in person, but he trusted me, trusted my opinion. And then when you switched to when you went to Oregon State, and I, I was so happy for him because he was essentially going home, and and he's part of you know such a good thing you guys have down. At Oregon, and we've just kept in touch and, and had the opportunity to send off Travis, who's so talented, and there's a couple other kids who are, you know, who are um, committed to go there from Australia because we've been close 20 years later. So, you know, that, that's, I, I, I um, you know, thank the world of the guy, and, and those kids at Oregon State are so uh, fortunate to have him, I believe. The hyphen himself, Ryan Roland Smith, the first major league player with a hyphenated last name ever. This guy is kind enough to join <laughs> us. You see him on Root Sports. He's been with the Mariners broadcast since 2017. I want to jump to your own experience a little bit because it may relate to Travis Bazzano, whom I want to hear you out on in a moment. But when you grew up in Australia, it's my understanding, Ryan, in reading some things about you, 
you kind of fell in love with baseball through tapes. Did relatives send you VCR tapes of the 92 <laughs> and 93 World Series, and you developed a love that way? Exactly. I mean, you, I mean I'm going to age myself here a little bit, but you go back to you know, the, the, the mid-'90s, and, and i got a late start to baseball. A lot of kids I see over here, that you know, they, they start when they're so little. But I started when I was 12 years old, and I was playing, playing rugby. My dad was a strength coach for a professional team, so that was going to be my path. You know, I was a good little rugby player at 10 years old, but all of a sudden I got some – my sisters were playing softball, and, and one of the dads had these videotapes because my mom said, oh, my, my son, me – I was just enamored by American sports, just everything, whether it be football, hockey, baseball. So he gave me these videotapes of the 92-93 World Series, and I just watched those things over and over. For the young kids listening, you understand what a videotape is. You have to rewind, <laughs> re- rewind that puppy, and there's a bit of a process. <laughs> Plus, it affects the quality of the tape. So I'd rewind those things and just keep watching them. I had every game. I used to be there in my living room before I even started playing baseball, just trying to you know, mimic what you know, John Oleroo, Joe Carter, got, Jimmy Key, guys like that, what they would do. i just try and emulate what they did. Uh, and that was my exposure to baseball, and that was a lot of kids' exposure to baseball. It was 3 o'clock at night. It's a lot different now. I mean, these kids have access to YouTube, and they have access to you know, MLB TV and all these other outlets, which is great. But, you know, I just fell in love with it. And uh, I, I never forget telling my dad, you know, calling my dad and saying, Hey, Dad, guess what? Uh, I'm playing baseball. I'm not going to play rugby because they're on the same time on Saturday morning. And he was just, his jaw dropped. He's like, excuse me? <laughs> and that was it. I was off. I went to my first practice session and just never took my glove off. I don't think. I slept in my uniform. I was one of those kids. I loved it. Ryan Roland-Smith joining us. But you are now, you with Next Gen, and, and you're working with Travis and Jimmy Natai and others and trying to help give them opportunities in here in uh, collegiate baseball and so on. Who helped you? I mean, did you kind of have to invent yourself? Were there baseball mentors at all for you growing up in that atmosphere? Well, I had, you know, I had posters of, you know, Dave Nielsen. You remember him? I mean, mm-hmm. Dave Nielsen, Graham Lloyd, guys like that. I had, I had a poster. There was this, this iconic poster. If you ever keep growing up in the nineties of Dave Nielsen, Graham Lloyd together in Brewers uniforms, I had that poster up my wall and it was always that, that, you know, that, that, feeling like, you know, if these guys can do it from Australia, you know, I can too. And, and honestly, the fact, if I grew up here in the States and knew how talented kids are here, I don't know if I ever would have made it. I was kind of like that big fish in a small pond, so it kind of helped me a little bit. I didn't, I was never really exposed to how tough it really is to want to get over here, but I just always had that, that weird belief that someday I'm going to, you know, like a kid, like a kid wants to be an astronaut, get in a spaceship and go off to the moon. You know what I mean? It's the same kind of, it was the same kind of thing. And I just never let go of that. And, and, you know, I never made an Australian team ever, a national team. I got cut from a bunch of teams, but there's always that thing that I just, I, I love the game so much. But now, you know, and you mentioned, you know, next-gen baseball. One thing I'm really passionate about, I know you mentioned the fact that I get to do TV and radio and cover baseball, which I absolutely love. But one big passion of mine is, and, you know, I started a business called Next-Gen Baseball, and that Travis came through that. I've known Travis since he was 12, and he mentioned Jimmy Nadai at Stanford. And his younger brother, Josh Nadai, who don't tell anyone, but I think he's even better than Jimmy, he's committed to go to Oregon State. So a lot of these kids, I try and put as much work and time as much as I can to try and get them in front of some of these college recruiters to, to, to go the college pathway. I didn't get a chance to do that. I signed for a little bit of money, went straight into professional baseball. It is a tough road, uh, as anyone will tell you. I wish I had the opportunity to play college baseball. I just never did. I, I was never recruited or anything, but I would have loved to do that. So that's why these next generation kids from Australia 
I'm trying to get him not to sign for a little bit of money. I'm trying to get him to do what Travis is doing, and, and hopefully they thrive just like Travis. So that's kind of that next next little chapter for it. Ryan Roland Smith, our guest. So let's get on in our remaining minutes on Travis himself. You've known him since he was 12 kind of coached him up, worked with him here and there. Tell us about Travis, your relationship with him. He lived with you when he was working out at Driveline last summer. This is a really great relationship you forged with a tremendous young man. Yeah, he, he really is, and he's intense, too. I mean, having a chance for him to, to, to stay at my house because he wanted to be a Driveline, and I was, you know, open doors for that and any of these kids and, and hang out with my family here in, in Seattle. But, yeah, I think with Travis, like you mentioned, I, I, I met him when he was 12, and it's funny. He was always that kid, honestly, that was kind of overlooked. And he'll even tell you that. There was other kids who were bigger, stronger at 12, 13, 14. But I never forget, we brought over a group of kids um, to the U.S., um, you know, a young group with next-gen baseball, to, to just to expose them to what, what's, what's possible. And that's you know, college campuses, going to a big league game, going on the field during batting practice. At the end of the trip, we sat down with these kids, and we just kind of had like a, you know, like a one-on-one little eval from, you know, what's next for them. Travis Bazzano rocked up, the only kid rocked up with a pen and paper, and he wrote down every single thing that we said. I never forget it. He went off that year, and, and you yeah, know, look, and we even said, look, everyone's going to, Trav, we love you. You've got so much energy. You, you, you're vocal. You're a grinder. All these little scrappy qualities that, that you know, are, are great qualities to have, but when you talk about being faster, stronger, everything else, we said, look, you're going to get overlooked um, these next couple of years. So you have to find ways. And guess what? He went off. He got a sprint coach. He got a lifting coach. He he took he stopped playing in these you know these tournaments and, and these games during the winter. He just got after it. And as years went on, man, he just he just turned into what you see now. And I I, I saw that you know um, you know resurrect itself last year. He was at driveline. He'd come home. All he wanted to talk about which he swing and, and watching video and talk. And all he wants to talk about is baseball. Mm-hmm. So he is just a different kid, man. And you know, I love the kid. He's going to you know, go on to do bigger, you know, bigger and better things throughout his whole life. He, he's one of those kids that he'll get drafted and, and go off and, and it won't be enough. And you get to the big leagues, it won't be enough. He's one of these kids. So Oregon State, very lucky to have him. And, and uh, you know, he, he's loving it. He, he says constantly, these younger kids coming through, he's now turning into a bit of a mentor for them to say, don't just settle for you know, some school that you can, you can go to one of these Power 5 schools, you can go to one of these big conferences, don't settle for anything, and, and, and just keep looking ahead. And I, I love seeing when you talk to younger kids like that. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a, uh, I love having that relationship with those kids, and I'm excited to see where he goes from here. Ryan, that is so well put, and there's so much more we'd like to unpack with you, and maybe down the road when our schedules are a little less tight, we can do that. I want to close a little bit as we watch Travis's journey unfold. You signed out of high school, young man. You end up running into Rich Dorman. You guys kind of helped each other navigate the Mariner system. You eventually worked your way, and I just got to ask you what this felt like. It's written. It's been written about a lot, but you made your major league j- debut June 22nd, 2007, with the Mariners, and the first batter you face is Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> and you strike him out. I mean, how surreal. What was that moment like for you? Well, you know, from everything I just talked about, you know, coming 7,000 miles away from Australia, where, the, you know, the only, I've said this a bunch, the, the only you know, exposure you have as a kid is just a handful of players, some videotapes, 
and a guy who was on the Simpsons, on a Simpsons episode, and that's Ken Griffey Jr. So <laughs> here I am, and again, man, when, you, when you're from Australia, you always have that sort of that underdog mentality, and that you know, you, you now I like to talk, I like to do TV and radio and, and everything else, and I, I love to pop, speak publicly. But I was a shy kid, and I remember being 24 years old, getting called up and looking at the schedule. I knew I was going up for a Friday night game. I was hoping to go on a Tuesday against the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, when no one was in the seat. But sure enough, it's Friday night. And the first time King Griffey Jr. comes back to Seattle, the guy who left to get traded off to Cincinnati. So the place, every time he come up to hit, he, everyone was on their feet. They just wanted to see him hit bombs. And here I am, 60 feet away from someone who I idolized as a kid, thinking, you know, that, that imposter syndrome was through the roof. And I'm like, okay, just don't walk him. My first thought was just don't walk this guy. And sure enough, I got the two strikes. I'm like, I am just going to try and spin the absolute life out of this curveball and see if he swings. And sure enough, he swung over it. I was like, oh, man, got booed on the, on the walk back to the dugout, but that's okay. And uh, it was a special moment, for sure. He became a friend, though, right? A good friend. Yes. Yeah, he did. He, um, I mean, I was teammates with him in 2009 and then 2010. And, you know, it, it's one of these things, too. And, and, you know, I talk to guys about this all the time. When you look up to someone, and then all of a sudden you're playing next to him. I've had that a couple times, but when he when I found out he was signing, I was talking to some of the other younger players with the Mariners saying, Just just be cool, man. Just be cool off the field. Don't ruin my childhood memories. <laughs> and he was he was more than that. He was great and uh yeah, had a really good relationship even after my career and he was just that guy, man. He was someone you can look up to and, and bounce any question off and Mariners legend and, and uh yeah, and, and it's good to see him back with the, with the organization. Uh, more often these last couple of years, for sure. Ryan, thank you for coming to the ballpark. Husky ballpark in Seattle. You saw Travis at a triple. You missed his grand slam. But you know, know. We'll, we'll close yeah. on this. There's a lot more good times coming for him, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, and, again, I get asked all the time from, from scouts. I get random text messages about Travis and, you know, this, that, and the other, just little things. It's like they're all preparing. But, yeah, I, I, and again, like I said, the, the, the Beavers, based on the, the family with Rich and, and Travis and some of these other kids I have coming through, and you know, I, I love to, to be a part of what everything is going on down you know, at Corvallis. I think it's such a great program, and you know, you know college sports is. It's such a turnstile with some of these coaches and mm-hmm. you know, how cutthroat it is, but they have something special there. So, you, so I'm, I'm, I'm you know, proud to be a part of it. Ryan, thank you so much. Have a great broadcast coming up here shortly with Root Sports and Brad Adam. We love your work. Thanks for making time. I hope we can do it again down the road. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks Mike. Thanks, Ryan. Ryan Roland-Smith, our guest. Let's break. we got to get uh, quite a bit of business done in the hour. Rich Burke will join us, too, in a few minutes. Any thoughts on that? Feel free to text or call now, 497-5356-1240, Joe Radio. Got to give that well, back so I, I can get it to I'm Max. I'm reaching out. We're trying, and I Max, I, I I completely forgot about you, and I didn't see the note. Max lent me Boys in the Boat, and there's a note inside, <laughs> and I never saw it. it. So I put it on my shelf because I had about five books in front that I needed to get to, and never did. Forgot about it, and it's been a couple years, and now it's come up as a topic, and I found the book, and I had a second one as well. So I got to get that book back to Max. It's come up as a topic partly because, I mean, the locale we were just in, meeting yeah. Henry Prosser. But the film is coming out in the fall, with, directed the fall? by George okay. Clooney. Okay. And another film has been released. And I've been hearing people talk about it on the national shows a little bit. Air? Air. And you're going tonight? I think so. 
Has anybody seen it out there? It's open Wednesday. Did anybody, Has anybody see it? seen it? If you have, feel free to give us a quick review or text on it. How is it? What I said, I've reached out. We're trying to Steve Carruthers, who was essentially an assistant director of ops and a do everything person for both LB baseball and Oregon state baseball of generous soul. Steve does so many things for so many different people and programs. I love his giving spirit. He's very good friends grew up with Tinker Hatfield Wow. who helped design some of the Nike shoes or the Air Jordan shoes back in the glory days of, of the shoe taking flight. Tinker, uh, wor- I don't know if he's retired. I assume he is. I don't know where Tinker's at mm-hmm. these days, mm-hmm. but I don't know if there's a character of Tinker Hatfield in the film. I haven't done any IMDB research on the film yet, <laughs> but Ben Affleck is Phil Knight. Matt Damon is Sonny Vaccaro. Have any of you seen it out there? What are you hearing about it? Are you interested in seeing it? Michael's apparently one of these. It's almost, to me, Michael's role, the role of Michael Jordan in the film Air sounds a little bit like the person who played, as he's called in the credits, the Christ on this Good Friday, the film Ben-Hur. You, have you seen the film Ben-Hur, John, ever, Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur? Yes, and okay. the second, the remake was great. I've not seen the remake. It's very good. But is the character of Jesus similarly depicted in the second one where you don't really see, you see his feet, you see him walking, you see I don't his shadow? Remember in Ben-Hur, him. you yeah. do not, he doesn't speak. He's the central figure in the, in the film, Ben-Hur, mm-hmm. who never appears in the film, per se. So I'm wondering... To tr- you know, we we deify our sporting heroes. So now, uh, oh, you go from uh, from talking about the Christ to Michael Jordan. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, but anyway, <laughs> Michael, from what I understand, has that kind of quote unquote presence in air. You, there's no character that plays him. His parents are in the film. Uh, Viola Davis plays Michael's mother. This is what I'm at least understanding from hearing people talk about air, on the air, in the air, everywhere on 1240 Joe Radio and elsewhere. So I'm just asking, has anybody seen Air? So looking at the cast, there is a George Raveling character. Somebody's playing Raveling? Marlon Wayans is playing George Raveling. Oh, nice, nice. There's a Joe Dean? I don't know who that is. Tinker Hatfield. No. There's no Tinker. No, I went through all of them. There's a John O'Neill, a John Fisher. I don't know who these players are. Howard Slusher? Katie Dassler Horst. Horst Dassler, Peter Moore, These are named Howard White, Michael Jordan, James White. Jordan, Maybe Dolores I'm Jordan. Howard White. I'm thinking of Howard White, who might have been Michael's agent or something. Howard White is Chris Tucker. Okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, Jordan himself, there's no no Michael Jordan in the movie that's no. all about him. Well, there's a young <laughs> Michael Jordan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's uh, Sonny Vaccaro. Who, what, what, what was he? Well, Sonny <laughs> He's that's Matt Damon, and he's he. That's what yeah. the story's all about. Yeah, Sonny, like saying, nice right hand man or something. Well, the shoe guy, and then Jason Bateman's a character, a, a star, so he plays Rob Strasser. I don't Rob know who Strasser, that was. I think. Okay, and then you got Phil Knight. Strasser, I think, might have been an Adidas guy that Knight hired away. Anyway, any shoe well, dog. Some of you have read shoe dog and probably know yeah. this story pretty well. I'm going to refresh my memory on all of it. And particularly if Tinker Hatfield says yes to coming on and what did he think of the depiction? There is an article in the paper. I didn't again, 
saw the, the Which, headline. Uh, our, our paper, Gazette Times? Oregonian, actually. Okay, what did it Pretty say? Pretty sure it was yeah, Air, Oregon Live. Sean Levy? Uh, no, it just the, the, the headline was um, uh, Nike insiders talk about uh, how, basically, how real the movie was. Okay. Well, that's good to hear, yeah. that the initial reaction from the headquarters, the war, the campus, is positive. Well, I don't know. It's just they talk about how real it is. No, if it's real. That's the question. Oh, so. Okay. So I didn't read it to find out if it's good or bad. I got you. So I misconstrued. It's just an article it's a matter of that semantics. will answer the question. If it's real. If it's close to home or so, not. So, yeah. See, I understood that in the world of communication, I thought when you said the Nike people talk about how real it is, I took as. Oh, they think it's really real. You're huh. saying that's what the article's about, whether it's real or yes, not. Yes, yes. Gotcha. And you got to read it to find out, is it or not? <laughs> okay. That's in the article. Gotcha. Hollywood takes way too many liberties. They and have I, to. I, with true stories, they though. They have to. Why? There, there was a scene in The Chosen, and I said to Kim, who, I mean, I, she's my muse when it comes to the Bible. I'm like, where's that story? It was about <laughs> Peter's wife losing a baby. And she says, that's not in the Bible. And I'm like, well, why would they put it in a show that's supposedly chronicling <laughs> the entire story? Yeah. And she said, Hollywood takes even this Dallas Jenkins guy. It's a, it, yeah. it was a crowdfunded show mm-hmm. that's taken the world by storm. Mm-hmm. Even they have to, they fill in the blanks. I'm like, I, I, why can't you just do something that you act out, but it's literally a documentary? Okay, the problem though, and, and we'll take a break on this high note with Rich Burke coming, these are... These are, these are high matters and important matters. The problem is, fill in the gap. You use fill in the blanks or whatever. Yeah. Yes, there are extra biblical characters and stories in all of these films. The Ten Commandments, Ben Hur, uh-huh. uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the greatest story ever told. I've seen all of them. I like them all. Why do they do extent. it? Because there's not enough material in the Gospels. Well, really. there just isn't. It. Those then, are not biographies. They're they're amazing documents, but. To, to flesh out the story the way Hollywood or even a novelist has to do, the documents themselves are not enough. There's not enough material there. Now, there must it, not it, be. No, I mean, I don't believe there is. And, and people, I love yeah. the, 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 I love those books, the four books and the three synoptics and all. I mean, they've enriched my life for, for 50 years. But, but I understand when directors and, and novelists and so on, for, you know, they, they're out to tell a longer narrative story over a longer period of time. But, but could there some, be like a, an heir or a Russell or any of these? Of course, that was a documentary. But like an heir movie, could you not do everything that actually happened and have enough material? <laughs> well, but everything that actually happened then is too much. So it, well, cut it have down, to be streamlined but don't put something that didn't don't, exist. Don't make something up whole cloth. Yeah, don't make gotcha. it up. Okay. The story you say about Peter sounds or, completely or I relationships. Mean, there, no, or there's stuff. no. I mean, there's nothing biblical about what you just said. I've right. not seen any of those episodes. Right. But you're it was talking a about, good chunk of time in one of the gotcha. episodes. Interesting. Let's take a break on this note and come back and talk Beaver baseball against Oregon. Postponed last night, and now we do play on Easter Sunday at noon. Normally, the Pac-12, and I've always liked that about the conference. They have scheduled yeah, around it, but kind of we're going to play on Sunday at noon. Tonight at 7, tomorrow at 3. Rich Burke will have all the calls. He joins us next on 1240 Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show a very rainy late Friday morning. We're hoping for 
and I think, John, we're going to get it. Our next guest would be interested, and he's probably mm-hmm. studying along mm-hmm. with everyone else the weather charts oh, for tonight. No, it's going to be better soon. <laughs> While we're talking about it, it's pouring down rain. But no, it's supposed to dry out completely here in... Actually, it may rain for another two or three hours, but by evening time, even late afternoon, it should be completely dry. We're glad to hear that. I know Rich Burke is glad to hear it. Rich, were you already in Eugene last night and preparing, and we were going to see each other there at the ballpark? Were you already there, or are you there now? I was already here, and yes, I'm here now, and I'm I'm looking out from my uh, hotel room, and I can see Autzen Stadium, and I can see the lights of PK Park and the sun has fought its way through the clouds. There's no rain right now. Good. Well, that's a good sign. This is a very interesting series, Rich. You're going to let me make sure I understand this. You're going to have all three, or is Sunday to be decided? What's since this is kind of new on the schedule? You have the first two games for sure. Has the third been added yet? The third has not been added, and my understanding is that it will not. That game will not be televised. Okay, but you've got the two, and you're working solo, correct? That's correct, yes. As, as they call it, uh, um, it, it, it inside the Pac-12 network offices, the Vin Scully model, which is you know <laughs> the, the only time I'll be mentioned in the same breath as him. <laughs> have you ever heard of Vin Scully? I think you have. Now, Rich, the, the, <laughs> the question, though, is the Vin Scully model was the one. Tell us, for our listeners, the Vin Scully model, as it's called in the Pac-12, you, we, we understand it. I think most people understand it. But how do you understand that term, and why why is it? kind of connected to the late, great Vin Scully? Well, he was the only guy in my memory that would do TV broadcasts by himself, which he did on on, uh, KTTV Channel 11 for many years for the Dodgers. Um, And then, of course, when he, there were days he couldn't be there and, and Ross Porter would do it by himself, but it was a Dodger thing. I don't remember other TV announcers doing a game by themselves. Uh, I'm sure it's happened. I just don't know of it. Do you? I really don't. And it's interesting because Scully was doing a play-by-play. It wasn't an analyst. The television is so often the the domain of the analyst, right, Rich? I mean, you, when you're working a Pac-12 network game and you have an analyst with you, you're very deferential to the analyst because television is conveying much of the game story, correct? Yeah, because people can see what's going on, so there's there's a much less play-by-play necessary. So it's a matter of filling in the gaps and and giving notes and and uh, yeah, it, it it is largely so uh, centered around the analyst uh, most TV broadcasts. But my role as a play-by-play announcer is to to give information that people might not otherwise have. And so when you when you do work a game solo, you know the game well. You must along the way in play-by-play, Rich. You're fulfilling both roles in yeah, a sense tonight and tomorrow, right? Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Um, and, and I know this sport well enough where I I can do that. Uh, when I'm asked to do, for example, a wrestling telecast solo, um, there are some things I know, but there's lots I don't know. Um, so uh, I, I have to stay more vague in those cases. Um, but as you know, when it, when it comes to baseball, I, I, I played the sport, I played it in college. Uh, I feel like I, I know it fairly well and, and, and know what they're trying to do. And, and, and yet there, there are things I'm still learning. For example, in this series two years ago, um, I called it by myself and, uh, there was a play, you may remember it where, 
um, the ball went to the backstop uh, on ball four. And um, no, it wasn't ball four. It, the ball went to the backstop, and, and, and the runner moved from second to third, and they sent it back. And I couldn't figure out why they did. I was racking my brains trying to figure it out. Um, and, and, and the ball, I guess it was ball four and it hit, uh, the ball had hit the batter on its way to the backstop. It had just grazed the batter's shoe top on its way back. And, uh, so he went the first on a, on a hit batter and not ball four. And because it hit him, the ball was dead and the runner had to go back. And, and I, I was racking my brains and and (laughs) obviously something I should have recognized, but I didn't. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, Based with that situation before, and, and, you wouldn't and that know. time I didn't, and I'm still learning. Yeah, and Rich, you wouldn't know it because, you know, no one's turning around and telling you that, and you don't really see it from the umpire, uh, and so you're <laughs> you're trying to figure it out. By the way, 69 Mets, the shoe polished. Yes. In the movie yes, Frequency. that's right. Yeah. 69 Mets. <laughs> uh-huh. The only time I can that, that, pull that something That used to like happen more out. often, I think. Uh, uh, there have been times when I'm wondering, why didn't the manager ask him to check the shoe polish? Because right. players still have their shoes polished before every game. Rich, when you talk about, you know, that you've been around the game your whole life and listened to Vinny growing up, and, and so you know that, you know the model that uh, you'll, be, you'll be in that chair tonight at PK Park, and I know the broadcast will be rich with information and story and all of that. I'll I'll be downstairs I think in the concourse. There's not room for us any longer in the John Conrad press box. So I'll be down in the concourse getting uh, my view of it from there. But there are a lot of stories to tell in this game. I don't know. The time is a little. The games are faster these days. There's a little less time for all of that information. Oh yeah. But you've got I'm sure some material ready. This is a very intriguing series. I think. Yeah, I totally agree. But you asking me about the the Oregon Oregon State rivalry would be like Ben Sculling ask, asking me about the Dodger Giant rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you, you guys both know uh, more about this than than anybody. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's pretty intense. Um, as you know, these teams are not fond of each other. Um, we had the the dust up at the end of the game last year with. Ryan Brown and Jacob Walsh, um, they're always fun. And, and, and uh, I was quite disappointed that yesterday's game was rained out and mm-hmm. that now I only get to call two of the three games mm-hmm. in this series because um, you know, calling close to 60 events in six or seven different sports for Pac-12 Network this year, mm-hmm. um, I've got this one circled on my calendar. Nice. I, I enjoy calling this as much or more than anything else uh, because of the history between these two teams, because of... Uh, of the rivalry, and uh, there's no love lost between the two. Oh, and just by the way, I saw a graphic this morning uh, from Baseball America, um, and it listed uh, 10 or 11 schools, and there are only, I believe, seven schools in the country that have um, uh, graduates of those schools or people who played for those schools on major league rosters. Um, I think they're Oregon State has seven on Major League Opening Day rosters, and Oregon has eight. And they're two of the top seven schools in the country in that regard. So, And they're the only two schools that are north of the, the 39th parallel. Everybody else is a, is a warm-weather school. So what these two schools are doing and producing Major League players is, um, is remarkable. It is. It's phenomenal, and, and especially when you, you point out the whole above the 34th parallel deal. That's amazing. I want to ask you a quick question, you know, as we get closer to running out of time, about the hops. Do you have time for a couple of questions about Hillsborough? No. 
All right. Ronnie Gajownik. Is that how you pronounce her name? Gajownik, yes. Okay. Uh, first, no, second or third female manager in, pro, in professional baseball. She takes over the hops this year at 29 years old. Yeah, she's the second, and she's the first at the high A level. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's a very good story. Um, she was a college softball player and uh, played uh, baseball for the uh, USA women's baseball team at the 2015 Pan Am Games, the first time that there had ever been a, a women's baseball tournament at the Pan Am Games. And uh, Team USA won gold. She was an infielder for them. And uh, then after serving as a softball assistant for several years, she got an opportunity in 2021 to work for the Diamondbacks as the video coordinator, and they assigned her to Hillsboro. And uh, come to find out, she, she wasn't just a, a – every team in the minor leagues that I know of these days anyway has a video coordinator, mm-hmm. and that person's job is to set up the cameras and make sure that, that there are several different angles of video for everything every batter and every pitcher does so they can go back and analyze them later. And those, then the video coordinator goes back to the hotel and they will upload those videos to a system where everybody in the organization can see them. So hmm. people with the Diamondbacks down in Phoenix, they're, they're, if they want to, they can go look at every pitch for every at-bat for a particular player, every pitch that a pitcher threw, and it's the video coordinator's job to make sure that those logistics happen. Well, in the course of that 2021 season, come to find out, um, Ronnie wasn't just uploading the videos. Um, she was noticing things and making suggestions. And we had a, a, a player named Cam Corsi who, um, I, I don't know who, um, who made the, the first move on this, if it was her uh, saying something to him or he said, you know, what do you know? I don't know, but she really helped him. And that sort of opened the Diamondbacks' eyes. You know, this this person, she has more value. And so last year she was scheduled to be a coach in um, down in Arizona in the uh, rookie level. Uh, well, uh, they had a uh, a coach at Double A break his foot. Former Hops manager Javier Kalina, and so they needed a coach there. And so she coached at Double A last year, mm. and uh, really had a good impact, um, good leadership skills. And so. Here she is as as a manager, and and internally with the hops, we're treating it basically as a non-story. We know the story is going to be told. We know it's a great story, but for us, it's business as usual. She's just the team's manager, yeah. And uh, we're all kind of looking forward to getting this first week out of the way, so we can just focus on the game. Yeah, that's completely understandable. And uh, you know, within it's like absolutely treat it like normal, but outside it's it's a it's a marker. There's no and and a positive one. There's no doubt about it. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the uh, the new ballpark. It seems, and obviously I read the article, you know, way back when. It's about basically too much. It's it costs you less or them less to build a new one than to make the current ballpark Major League Baseball compliant or Pro Baseball compliant. Do you know what it is that needs to be upgraded? For for I mean, it's a fairly new ballpark. So how is it that it's not already compliant now? That's a good question. I don't know all the details uh, as, as to what they would have to do. I do know that they need the clubhouse spaces. The visiting team doesn't have a clubhouse right now. Mm. Uh, they, there have to be clubhouse spaces for um, female staffers, uh, which we currently don't have right now and obviously have a need for. 
Um, Ronnie does not have a separate shower facility. I'm not sure how they're going to work it out, but in the in the new ballpark and, and, and moving forward in, in all parks that need to be upgraded, um, those facilities are going to have to be included. So, hmm, that yeah, that's sense. part of it. And the other part is um, our ballpark's beautiful, and, and if you haven't been there, I encourage you to do so, and it's going to be our park for the next two years, but it's oriented the wrong direction. Center field faces almost due south, so the people on the third base side, um, they're either uh, – you know, they're baking in the sun, or later in the day, they're looking directly into it mm-hmm. as they're looking at the action. And so something needed to happen there, and our, our president and GM was, was thinking, because the original uh, plan was to upgrade the current ballpark, and, and he was thinking, we're going to do this, and we're still going to have the third base sunshine problem. Yeah. And so uh, he came up with the idea to, to build a new one, and it's a great idea. Where will, where will it be compared to where Ron Tonkin Field is right now? Mm, it'll be maybe 150 yards away. Okay. It would be, uh, yeah, adjacent to the, the first baseline across that parking lot. There's a couple of softball fields there, mm-hmm. and it will be there. What's unusual about it, though, to me is, and this isn't a smart or dumb or right or wrong type of question, is leaving the old park there, where if you already have, if you get the new one, you could use that space along four other sports and build some other uh, some other type of facility that might be needed because you'll have football and two baseballs right right next to each other yeah they and there, there is a as, as you just mentioned there is the football stadium there that they do use for other sports and they can use and have used Ron Tonkin field uh, for other sports such as soccer they play some high school soccer there um, and it could be used for for say a JV football game. Uh, and so I think that'll still uh, that'll still happen. There has been, uh, and I think it'll be converted so that it could be a softball field. Now, one of the this is just speculation on my part. I haven't heard anything from anybody, but um, one of the fields that will be overtaken um, by the new ballpark in Hillsboro is where Portland State plays their home softball game. Ah. So. Um, I, I know one of the plans is to make sure that the um, the ballpark we're in now in its new capacity will uh, can can host softball, and so maybe that's where Portland State would play. And I've even heard a possibility that it, if there should ever be a professional softball league, uh, mm-hmm. women's or men's, that 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 could be where Ron Tonkin Field is right now. Rich, let, thank you. And that there's a lot of material and things I hope we can discuss with you with respect to the Hillsborough hops later final thing and I'm glad no I definitely wanted to hear about the season that that you're embarking on but let's close with a thought about Oregon's offensive uh, resurgence under Mark Wazikowski particularly this year and what they just did down in Tucson as you study the numbers as you study Oregon's roster their offense in particular what are you seeing, Rich? What's going on? I mean, what's happening there and the challenges that Sellers, Hunter, Kamatz, and company face this weekend? Yeah, I see a lot of guys on hitting streaks. And Tanner Smith, I mean, what is he, 30, 32 years old now? He's been there, what, 12 years? I don't know. Um, I think he's hitting in 10 consecutive games, like hitting better than 500 in that span. Uh, they got a couple of uh, junior college guys, um, a guy named uh, Ritu Nishida, um, who's just tearing the cover off the ball of late. Sabine Ceballos, another JC guy. And, uh, yeah, I, I got to hand it to, uh, to, to Wazikowski. 
Um, and to Jack Martyr, their their hitting coach, uh, guys go there and and they seem to prosper offensively. Yeah, it it's going to be an interesting series, I think, uh, Richie. I, I'm looking forward to it. It's a big one for the Beavers because they've won their last two series in the league after the one and five start. I know you you you're not a, you're not in a position to root, and you're not going to do that in any way in the broadcast. But it's it says here to me. That if the Beavers win this series in these circumstances in their ballpark, that they may indeed be on an upswing. It feels pretty important that way for Mitch and the Beavs. And I agree. And OSU's RPI last time I checked was in the mid 60s, and and Oregon's was right around 10 or 11. So uh, taking this series, winning two out of three on the road, would be huge for Oregon State. And you know, if they can get up on the right foot and 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 win tonight. And then you start thinking in the back of your head, well, gosh, what if they won all three? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, on the upswing, I think the Beavs have won, what, six of eight? Yes. Um, so, yeah, winning this series uh, would be big. This this is as big as a, as a midseason series gets. Rich, it's great to talk to you. Look forward to seeing you here soon. The weather here in Corvallis is brightening up, too. We look forward to a nice weekend down there. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks for making time, as always. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rich. Rich Burke, he'll have the call on Pac-12 Oregon. I think we're taking it straight up on the fan. Is that correct? And is this Paul? No, it's Dave. Dave, okay, good. We've got a few minutes left with no break. So if you want to jump in with anything on the Downward Dog phone line, 497-5356. That's the same number for the University Honda text line. Let's go to Dave on the Joe Beaver Show. Dave, good morning. Good morning, uh, gentlemen, and uh, before I forget, let me wish you both a happy Easter. Thank you. Uh, Chris uh, tells me that they're doing a dead pregame dedication today in Cleveland for the guy who ran the, who banged that big drum out in the left field grandstand. <laughs> and since I like always my, my model, my mission with this show, dare I say, uh, is to bring the fan perspective to the dialogue. Uh, I just think that's a, that's a nice gesture on the uh, Cleveland franchise's part. I think his name was John Anders. John Adams, I guess, was the fellow's name. Anyway, so, John, I wanted to address your, your question. I know we're getting really far afield here, but there are two sources of information in the Christian tradition. There is, in fact, the Bible, but there's also tradition. And uh, Clement of Alexandria is the source of the information that Peter, well, the fact that Peter was married is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Many had a mother-in-law, so one can make that logical inference. But Clement of Alexandria, one of the fathers of the Church, so-called, uh, is the source of the uh, information that Peter had a daughter. So, there, uh, so, so I just wanted to put your mind at, ri- uh, put your mind at ease, John, there is authority for that uh, <laughs> right. that storyline in the uh, series you cite, which I'm going to actually start watching this weekend. Somebody gave me the DVD set, so I'm going to start watching it myself. So that's it. That's my only reason for calling. Thank you for taking the call. You got it. Dave, thank you, and happy Easter to you, too, as well. We appreciate that. I, I personally can never, at least not now, <laughs> get into any kind of a debate <laughs> on biblical issues. <laughs> My wife can, yeah. but I cannot. Yeah, you know, so, I that's mean, interesting. He, he references the fathers who have a, 
again, because not everything is in the four books. I mean, the, the important stuff, I believe, is. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Church Fathers have had a very important function, too, in continuing the history of what was happening after the first century. Uh, and so I wasn't aware that Clement of Alexandria started that tradition. My favorite father of the, is Origen, who, who I think was ultimately considered a heretic for some of his, so therefore, you know, that's, that's your problem, Parker. Well, okay, okay, <laughs> sorry. But I liked Origen and a lot of his ideas, many of them. One that he is most controversially noted for, you could look him up. I agree with Origen on that, and I'll leave Interesting it Interesting name. It's the most important, yeah, it's as important a doctrine as he promulgated, is that and I the agree with him. Origen of the origin of the word origin? It is not. O-R-I-G-E-N. But, hey, anyway, we're coming down the stretch on the Joe Beaver Show today, and I want to talk about Colonel Egan at some point. Do you? Who? Colonel Egan. Now, here, here is something that I find very interesting, and that is Ted Williams is a fascinating figure in life. The great baseball player, Teddy Williams. Teddy ball game. Teddy ball game. I read his autobiography when I was young. And at some point, I kind of want to talk about the sports writer, talk show host as provocateur and the Colonel Dave Egan. This is what's fascinating to me in life. Ted Williams was booed by a section of Red Sox fans during his career jeered at, booed at, people would sit in the left field bleachers and yell at him and get on him. <laughs> Why? It's it, For us, it seems, what? That's impossible. This is Teddy Ballgame. This is <laughs> maybe the greatest hitter that ever lived. He wanted to be that. But there was a columnist for the Boston Record by the name of Dave Egan, the colonel. And Dave Egan chose, made a choice, a life choice, when Teddy was coming up, the splendid splinter, and adored by the fans when he came up. And Teddy hit 406 in 1941, the last 400 hitter in the big leagues. Mm. But Egan decided, well, everybody's saying one thing. Everybody's loving him. Everybody's there. Watch this. Read my column tomorrow. And Egan made a career as a sports columnist out of finding things to nitpick and criticize <laughs> Ted Williams on. And Ted was so sensitive. Even though, you know, he was a perfectionist in his craft, but he was so sensitive to any kind of criticism in the midst of his greatness that he engaged with Egan and, and they had kind of a feud and a battle and Egan spent two decades in a very real sense, writing columns that according to people in Boston, people would wait, let's see what the Colonel said today (laughs) that newspaper sales. He was great for sales for the Boston record. Did he just choose to do that? He pretty much made a choice. Yeah. I don't think there was anything in particular that set Egan off on Teddy other than writers were gushing about all oh, this new kid, Ted Williams. And Egan heard all of that and heard all of that. Well, I'll make my mark doing something else. <laughs> and he did the Colonel. Wow. The and, first and I find that to be talk yes, show. Host. I know. I kind of find that to be interesting about everything that in the world we live in. What do we got? Rick from Lebanon, and we got about a minute and a half. Okay, Rick, uh, Rick, thank you for the call, and welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Yeah, it just that doesn't make any sense. I mean, this guy was a fighter pilot in yes. two wars. Yes. And, I mean, Montgomery Wards made a whole series of sporting goods named after him. <laughs> 
The one thing that's interesting about Egan, though, while ripping Ted on so many other things and coming up with Ted Williams, who's in the biggest 10 games of his career, hit 200 and would outline he was this in this playoff game, he did this in the World Series. He thinks for himself, his home runs don't matter. They come in inconsequential situations. I mean, Egan made a career out of writing stuff like that. Then the fans would get in the stands and regurgitate to Ted out in left field what they read from Egan the, the earlier that day or the day before. I just find that disappointing, as you say, Rick. But but Egan took up for Ted as a war hero. When people were booing him for Ted's lack of patriotism because Ted apparently at some point said, I'm not sure I should be called up to Korea after everything I just did in World War II. And he was called up again and served... Uh, impressively and amazingly as a fighter pilot, but because he said something about, ah, yeah, I wish I didn't have to do this again, kind of, I'd like <laughs> to keep playing baseball, got booed for that. And Egan took up for him on that and defended Ted's record as a patriot and a pilot. So Egan had, he was got after Ted a lot, but he took up for him when a lot of people were criticizing him, too. Well, at least there's that. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> anyway, so Rick, I, yeah, you're I right. I read something the other day that uh, it said, never take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. He did not take. That's a good one. I it's like a that. very good one. That's a very good one. Teddy Ballgame, an amazing, fascinating figure. Thank you. See you next week. Happy Easter.